You're listening to a Behind Closed Doors podcast on 3CR 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash Behind Closed Doors. Our podcasts are also available on iTunes and Spotify. This show is broadcast on the land belonging to the people of Kulin Nation. Behind Closed Doors 3CR pays its respect to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledges that sovereignty has never been ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You have tuned in into 3CR's program Behind Closed Doors. This program explores all topics related to sex work. We give sex workers and allies a comfortable space to share their experiences. We also appreciate questions from the general public. Behind closed doors aim to uncover what the sex industry is really like. Our program exists to bridge the gaps. Please be mindful this program is not suitable for little years as there may also be explicit language use. Please email us at bcd3cr at gmail.com. You've tuned in into a podcast of Behind Closed Doors. Today, I want to play for you a very special episode where my co-hosts Dean and Sasha interview someone who Sasha describes as a wonder woman. This is their interview with Sandra Pankhurst, who's recently passed away just last July this year. We send our deepest condolences to her family and we play this episode to honour this wonderful, amazing woman who's been advocating for sex workers and sex worker rights. We cherish the time that we've had together with her on this show. We hope you enjoy listening to all her encouragement and knowledge that she's generously shared with all of us. Sassy, can you tell me more about who Sandra is? I would describe her as a wonder woman because she do a lot of things. As in presence, she's a very strong advocate for the LGBTQI community. She's an ex-sex worker, also an entrepreneur. She has a book and she's also a mum. Welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. There's so much to discover about Sandra Pankhurst. So Sandra... Let's go back to the start. You grew up in Melbourne, Victoria, and this is all in your book and the various interviews that you've done. You've had a quite, you know, traumatic and abusive childhood, and we're all very sorry to hear that. And then from there, you were able to live your life, and you found yourself, you transitioned, and you became the amazing woman that you are now. So you were into stripping and and doing, uh, being a showgirl, and then also working in brothels. Well, I suppose how it come about is because I was involved in the drag shows, also working clubs at nights and things like that, but it was never enough income because it was really, in those days, it was considered to be a bit of a sideshow and it didn't pay much money, but the promoters made a lot of money. And so during the day, we didn't know much better. We couldn't really get jobs in those days. So we had to do sex work to supplement our income. And so we sort of used to work during the, the day on the streets of St Kilda, and then we'd go and do the clubs at night. It was a pretty full and wild life. It was something we had to do really to survive if you wanted any sort of a decent income, you know, like a lifestyle. And of course, I personally like a good lifestyle, so I needed the money. Anyhow, with that, then I sort of worked around the clubs and it was very hard to work in those days too, because 
we were drag and because we were prostitutes and all that, we weren't really seen by the police in those days as being very acceptable or very wanted in the community. And so there become a stage there at one stage where we only could do bondage and discipline on ourselves to make an income. So it was very, very tough in the early days to sort of to get work and things like that. There were the 20 buck knock shops. What time period are we looking at? The, the 80s? We're looking at the probably, yeah, early, early, early 80s. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about the early 80s in Victoria, which is the yes. state that we're located in. We're talking about uh, that there are no real, that there were no rights, uh, or no human rights for trans people. That's correct. Yeah. And, and so from what you're saying, uh, in order to survive, to have a job, to have an income, a trans woman found work uh, and employment in uh, the sex industry and what you were saying is in regards to wording as well. So in the 80s and 90s, people use the word prostitutes. Yeah. And nowadays we use the word sex worker. So we're giving our listener historical context. Right. Yeah. Mm. How did you find that kind of work? I mean, it, um, was it well known? Were there, I mean, you're talking about the St Kilda street scene. Was it well known? Is that why, you know, you gravitated towards certain areas and certain nightclubs? Yes, we did. Um, it was like word on the street with everyone else that you knew through the LGBTQI community that this is what was the dumb thing to do. Might I add also that I used to run a laboratory prior to this for John Darling's flour mills, and they never wanted me to give up my job. But because I have such high standards in things that I had to give up that job because I couldn't expect reps and things like that to come in and see me with the little titties starting to pop through and the makeup on and the blouses getting more see-through and <laughs> the likes of that. So I didn't feel I could command the respect that I needed to have to have that job, not knowing what I was going to get myself into, which was the prostitution. But I was always sort of led on to do things. My, my ideals weren't naturally thought out properly. I just stumbled across things as I did in life, which led me to the shows and to the prostitution. In hindsight, would I have done it? Probably not, but then I wouldn't have the experiences I have today to talk about, so I'm quite willing to talk about it. It was an interesting life. It was a wild life. So historically speaking, life in the 1980s, in the 1970s, for people who are LGBTQI+, and Sandra, from what you're saying, you know, it's based on word of mouth. It seems very underground really underground in those days because we didn't have like to apply for a job or anything like that because we weren't really accepted you know it's a trial and error thing and it's also what we feel comfortable with at that particular given time given the supports we've got around us you know so like if the people we're associating with um, such as the LGBT community and whatever when we first start all this are supporting us that's what we know that's the information we have. So we rely on that heavily to support each other, to understand what the next step or where we're going or what we're going to do. Because, like, I was pretty naive when I started all this too because I I didn't know that transgender could be for real. I'd seen drag shows and things like that and also always realised they always had big chokers on and then they had the rock-hard tits. 
And then I thought, this must be plastic from here down. You know, they covered it with the choker. Little did I realise that you could have your own brush, you could have your own fanny, you could have your own everything if you wanted to, you know. So the choice was wild. So the support system was very important in those days. Talking about the employment, I think trans people are still have difficulties of getting jobs. Right. A lot of trans people are going through homelessness as well because they are not employed and they don't have any employment certificates to show that they have job to apply for uh, an apartment. Have a few of the trans people in the past where they are homeless and the brothels actually is a safe space for them to live there for a while but it's, I don't see any future in there. For the time being, for the time mm. being but mm. we all develop and go differently like my experience was that no matter what I've done in my life I do to 150 percent. Yes you know I that. Clean a toilet, I clean a toilet better than anyone. If mm. I'm going to be a prostitute, I'm going to be the best prostitute. And I went to work in Kalgoorlie and made a lot of money in Kalgoorlie. The downside of that was I used to fly back and get Mandy's. In the old days, and it was Mandy's made your Randy. And so we used to pop these pills and we could do untold things. Sandra, what's a Mandy? A pill called Mandrax. Oh, so it's like a Viagra? No, no, not a Viagra. Oh. It's a... Uh, antidepressant or a, a sleeping ah, night pill. It's like a Xanax. Yeah. So ah. you would take that pill and you would be as horny as all hell and Ooh. you'd do any, anything for money. You know Where can I, mean? I get these pills then? You can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the, the side effects of that are not good either because, mm. like, I remember working in Kalgoorlie and you had all your little letterboxes outside in the common area. Well, I was room one in house one. So room one, I had my letterbox and you have a little notebook and you write Sandra and what the deed of the day was, whether it was 50, 100, 150 or more, you'd write down on it. I used to make really good money. But then mm. the next morning when I'm sort of woken up and getting my shit together and I'm cleaning my room, I'm sort of going, oh, He's a sneaky 50 underneath that, and he's a sneaky 150 under that, and his money here, there's money. And I'm thinking, what did I do last night? (laughs) I did things that I don't even know I did in those days. You know, so I made top dollar, but it gave me the ability to fly back to Melbourne every three months and go doctor shopping and get these pills. Again, it's a different time period. So I guess this is the 80s again? Yeah. 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 So very different time period. And again, to put the historical context in, anyone really could go doctor shopping for all of these uh, med- uh, medications, these drugs. Prescriptions. Yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, it's now a, a different world situation, world. different world yeah. now. Yeah. Where, you know, there's more tightening of regulations and rules. everyone and welcome to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR 855 AM and digital. I'm Dean and Sassy and I have been chatting with the one and only Sandra Pankhurst. About the Kalgoorlie brothel, I really, I heard about this brothel before and a lot of people have made so much money from that place and I believe it's still there, isn't it, till now? Yeah, but it doesn't make money like it used to now because it's more or less a tourist thing now and they had money of doing tours. It's very, very quiet these days. So it was 
in some ways you could say I was at the right place at the right time. Farewell. We didn't have AIDS or anything. We had syphilis and gonorrhea, but we could check that because we used to check mm. their cocks every time they'd come into a room and wash it and clean it and, and see whether they had anything. But these days you can't protect against AIDS or whatever other diseases we've got these days. No, we can. We can. We, we, we take this medication. It's called PrEPs. Uh, oh. You protect you from protecting um, HIV from another person. And also the person who has HIV who being treated can't pass um, the disease to another person. Nowadays we've had incredible uh, medical breakthroughs. So people who are... Um, HIV positive live longer, the medications are better, but we still have other sexually transmitted diseases or STIs as they're now known. So we still have to be very careful. Trauma Cleaner, which have won awards. Would you like to tell us a bit about that book? It's called The Trauma Cleaner by Sarah Krasnerstein. It has been the most wonderful experience to me because for many years I just lived my life and I worked on the ability that I work 150%. My morals and principles are 150%. But if people had a problem with me, they had a problem with my gender, that was their problem, not my problem. But Mm. now after having the book done, it's been so cathartic and so liberating. I feel like I don't have to hide behind anything more. I can be myself. I can be who I am. I have an opinion that might not always agree with everyone else, but I'm still going to have it whether you like it or not. I'm very opinionated. I'm very political. When I see injustice, I, I bring it to the fore. For listeners who don't who aren't aware of what the Trauma Cleaner book is about, it's basically a biography of Sandra's life. And I can't believe they managed to fit it into one book. It should have been like a multi-volume piece. We had to limit it down, to, to be honest with you, Dean. Book number two coming soon? Uh, there is. I'm working on book number oh. two now. Um, it's going to be a more in-depth into my childhood and things that we couldn't put in this book and what's happened to me since the book has come out, how it's given me the confidence to public speak and travel around and organise a new existence for myself and also the things that have happened since like the lung surgery the embezzlement out of my business and all the the now retiring virtually from the business even though I'm still on the phone and checking the audio visuals of work and making sure everything's running properly I have a very different lifestyle now. Sandra, we we had previously discussed that you know you we worked in the uh, as a sex worker in the eighties in Melbourne, Victoria, and the discrimination, the stigma of being a, a a transgendered person, let alone a sex worker. How did you change from those times to where you are now, and all the different businesses that you've had? Where did you get the strength? and the confidence to do all these different jobs. So you've been a, you know, a funeral director, you have your own specialist cleaning business, you know, you've also had hardware stores, you've been this incredible business person. Actually, it's very interesting because out of adversity, my life become much better. And I had come back from over Kalgoorlie and all that doing what I was doing. And I worked here in a brothel in Clayton. Anyhow, We had an incident one night. There was two of us working, Kay and myself. We heard all of a sudden the lights went off and we just shit ourselves. You know, we're sitting in a brothel. I'm there rolling a joint. She's getting changed from the last mug. The lights all went off and we sort of panicked like that. And next minute there was this 
God almighty sound. It was like a Mack truck just come through the front door. And then the lights flicked back on. But before we even knew it, I had I was with my back to the door in the hallway. I was the first one to be grabbed by the hair. And, and then Kay was just screaming, panicking. We had to strip off and we had this awful ordeal for a couple of hours there. Then we were taken away naked to a vacant block of land. And like in those days, when you had a news bulletin, it was something serious. We envisaged ourselves walking to our death that night. Anyhow, we were over at the land for quite some time. I whispered to Kay because he just had these glazed look eyes. Like there was something was really strange. I said to Kay, I'm going to grab him by the balls. And I'm going to squeeze him so goddamn hardy, or do I know what day of the week it is. And you run and get help. So anyhow, I did that and he didn't even flinch. He didn't make an iodorous sound. He just laughed like this crazy man laughing. I then decided to run, falling over and was panicking and I was crying. And so I got back to the house. I went outside and we had a security dog. I got out the back and I was hiding my money in one of the very back rooms. And then I looked out in the hallway like that and then he switched the light back on and I could, he could see me and I could see him. I shit myself. By that time I had a towel I could put around me. I get cold when I, every time I talk about this, he'd come looking for me and the dog gave me up where I was hiding around the car. Another mug come into the property and could see what was going on. I ran out screaming, help, help, help. He took off like flash lightning. And then I just went down the street and I was crying. I was desperate. I was hard to breathe and all this sort of stuff. And then I went up to, there was another brothel further, further down the street. And um, anyhow, I was knocking on the door there to, to help me get in and all this. They wouldn't let me in, which was really bizarre. Thank God, just as I was going out the front crying, wondering what the fuck am I going to do, the police come around the corner. I'd rang the madam of the house and said, it's a fuck help here. The police said to me, are you the one that called? I said, yes, I am. Get in the house. I said, they won't let me in the house. So they turned their siren on and yelled out, let her in the house. <clears throat> so they let me in the house, but they wouldn't speak to me. They wouldn't speak to me at all and just stayed their distance away. The police finally come back, got me, took me to um, get clothes and stuff like that back at the brothel. And then we went into Russell Street headquarters to homicide and then the division and everything there as sexual crimes. But I must say the police then were absolutely fantastic. They treated me with the utmost respect because I weren't going to let this lie. I, yes, I might have been a prostitute, but I also had principles and morals that no one should get away with doing this to me. So I was going to take this to the court to the last thing I bloody did. Anyhow, his name was Mel Brooks, of all for names, a comedian's name. We went through the court case and all this sort of thing, the highest respect from the police, and I can't thank them more than that, even though it was different on other occasions. Um, and this particular occasion, it was absolutely mind-blowing. Well, I had to do a lineup, and the lineup was at the Barclay Street Hotel, which is almost the continuation of Inkerman and Gray Street. The mm. Barclay Street's there and there's a hotel on the corner. It was a bit of a bikies pub in those days. And it's now it's got apartments all on top of it and everything like yes. that. 
when we got there in the police car to go and do the ID, normally you think of an ID behind a mirrored door, like you see on TV, mirrored wall, none like that at all. It's live, face to face in front of mm. these guys. They're rough as guts looking. As I got out of the police car, I just looked around. Oh, and on top of all the buildings was like the SWAT team with machine guns and flak uniforms and everything. I thought, what the fuck have I got myself into? Out of that, it made me realise, and I ended up winning the case on that. They said to me, oh, you're a big burly girl, you know, you could fight them off. And I said, well, I said, look, the door come off in one piece on its own, but all the architrave around the door was splintered timber. I said, if he could do that to that, what could he do to me? And with that, they changed their plea to guilty. And I never went back to a court case after that. But he did go to jail. After that, the blessing was that I realised I had enough power in myself to be able to get a real job. So I fought and fought and fought. I started off at Shield Dry Cleaners, working part-time. But in those days, I didn't know any different. And I dressed up like I was going to a club at night. So I had all the big makeup on and everything like that. And I'm working a straight job. So it didn't take me too long to figure out that I was overdone. So um, <laughs> the makeup sort of dropped down and things like that. And then from there, I went to Black Cabs on the radio. And I loved that job because it was sort of helping the drivers at night. I did the graveyard shift. But you weren't allowed to talk to the drivers. There's always Mac 1 and Mac 2, Mac 1 and Mac 2. You're going to this destination or that destination and I used to talk to the drivers and keep them awake and keep them safe all night. And I was constantly getting called into the office and Sandra, you're not allowed to talk over the phone. You're not allowed to talk over the radio reception. I said, yeah, but I'm helping these guys because I'd get flowers sent in, I'd get presents sent in. Thanks for looking after us and thanks for this and thanks for that. I can't stop not talking to them. So I decided to leave. So I left there and then I got a job in the funeral home and the funeral home, I loved that to death. Then after a while, I married a client who I did a funeral for. We have a bit of a laugh about that because people say, oh, how did you meet George? Oh, there it is, wife. You know, but it wasn't like that. It was sort of, it was the truth, but it wasn't meant to be like that. We got married and I'd given up work and all that because George wanted me to travel. He was a director of Mackay Rubber and we wanted me to travel with him. So we travelled and all that and then... When I come back, we bought a hardware store in Brighton. Then Bunnings come along seven years later and put us out of business. And so I had to reinvent myself then as a cleaner. And then I further went on because general domestic cleaning makes no money. And when you own the business and you've got 20 staff working for you, it's nickels and dimes money in the big picture. And because in those days, we didn't have to pay staff to work only the time they worked. We didn't have to pay them between jobs. Whereas nowadays, you have to pay from start to finish. What time period are we talking about? So this is the late 90s? Yeah, late 90s. I decided then that I needed to do something to make more money. So because I had contacts in the funeral industry, we got a job straight away. And it was a learning curve. Because like, I always had a nickname as Mrs. Sparkle. But I'm going into houses that are filthy, rotten. The first house that we did was absolutely mind-blowing because there were beer bottles halfway up the walls and like, like a metre high. Every cupboard, 
every hole in the place had beer or wine containers or something in them stuffed into them you would have the you know be a wildlife officer because the rats and the mice are running all around you it was terrifying so the first house that we did was like 72 hours straight a girlfriend and I and in the end we had to ring up because we'd ridiculously priced this job but it was our first attempt at it and um, anyhow, we rang up and said, look, we need an extra 500 bucks because we got down to the fifth layer of flooring that was contaminated. And not only did we have to cut it, we had to pour boiling water over it to break down the glue. It was also riveted. So every time we put a spade under, it would ricochet on our hands. And we were tired, exhausted, mentally drained and aching. Our hands were just aching, like the size of watermelons. So anyhow. How, how do you even stomach that? Well, you do what you've got to do <laughs> to get by. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. After, after a while, like I've learned that, you know, it's like water off a duck's back after a while. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's like everything you do, you do for survival. You do yeah. to get where you want to go. And in hindsight, it's now set me up a pretty picture for the rest of my life. Okay. You know, so you do the hard yards, you get rewarded. You do it ethically, you get rewarded. You know, you've got to have your morals and principles and I've carried them all the way through. In your life of what you've done, when you've had challenges in your life, have you pulled yourself out of those challenges and those dark places? Because I have a firm belief that out of everything bad, something good happens. And so, like, you go through a horrible experience, but things don't last forever. You know, everything is a cycle in your life. And unless you have upsets in your life, how can you learn to smell the roses at the end? You need to be able to have these conflicts going on in life. And really, that's what life is all about, having lessons to learn and improve. Because if you keep making the same mistakes and going back over and over and over it, you're not learning what you're meant to learn in life. So you take these expressions of, you know, of what have I done now? And then think, how can I turn it into a positive? We need to look at any obstacles that come in our way are just a lesson for us to learn and to move on to something better. And until we learn these lessons, we're not improving our lifestyle. So we always have to look at life as being a half glass full, participating in life. We're becoming a community member. We're part of a cog of things that happen in life to make us a, a, a normal everyday human being. And I think it's really important that we don't forget what this is, this our powerless computer that we own, and we can program it to be whatever we want to be. That rings so true that our mentality and how we see the world can really shape our future. Yeah, well, you look at that in this way. I can tell you a joke and you'd piss your head off, right? Then I can tell you something sad and you'd cry your eyes out. That's how quick the human mind can change. So if we garnish that and fill it with positivity and fill it with possibilities, we have a much better field to harvest. Do you know what I mean? So it's a matter of our attitude is very, very important. Remembering we control how we feel. We are the owners of our own destiny. But we need to look at it in a positive light to be able to get the best results out of it. It's very easy to be negative, you know, very easy to be negative. But it's not so easy to be positive and forthright. And that's wow, a challenge that I put to everyone. 
On that note, we um, are all looking forward to your motivational speaking tour. Fabulous. Fabulous. Look forward to it. <laughs> Thank you, Sandra, for coming to our show. It's been a privilege to be speaking with you. I've, I'm always better seeing your face. <laughs> Thank you, Dean, as well. It's been a privilege to be asked to come on the show. And um, if there's anyone we can help in any shape or form, contact the radio station. I'm sure we can work something out between us that we can help you on the way to recovery or a better life. You have been listening to Behind Closed Doors on 855 AM 3CR. Tune into the station that gives voices to sex workers. Subscribe to 3CR. This is Hey Big Spender by Shirley Bassey. The minute you walked in the joint, I could see you were a man of distinction, a real big spender, good-looking, so refined. I said, wouldn't you like to know what's going on in my mind? So let me get right to the point. For every man I see This is a replay from an episode of Behind Closed Doors. We sincerely hope you enjoy this episode as much as we have enjoyed producing it.